0: Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe.
1: I'm Zoe's mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Frida. (laughs) All right, we're back with part two, Jane Eyre, The Men. Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Right. So uh, we're going to move on to uh, talking about the two men in the book and the way they contrast and so forth and that's uh, Edward Rochester and St. John Rivers who is her first cousin.
0: I think looking at both of them and contrasting them as you said is a good way to dig into the politics and the and more
1: of the themes of the book. And also the character of Jane Eyre and uh, basically they're sort of the externalized in a way two sides of her. Not point for point but generally the the side of her, her that is authentic and passionate and original, and then the part that is socialized and reasoning and cultivated, uh, and cultivated both of which are important in any human being, especially any human being that's going to live in society or that is going to be fully developed and individuated. But the thing is, is that they need to fit together and be congruent with each other. And that is the difficulty that Jane... Faces. And just to recap what I said last time, what I think the issue is, is that Jane, that original Jane is a very fiery person and a person, a, a woman, who does not fit into the gender concept of uh, women at the time, their subservient position, their perceived nature of delicacy and etherealness and that somehow they're spiritually above and beyond men and at the same time incapable and unable to function in the coarse world. And that comes from that idea of the angel in the house, the woman who makes everything beautiful and wonderful for the man, kind of the Manic Pixie dream girl without the Manic and the Pixie. (laughs) (laughs) The ideal girl. (laughs) The ideal woman who makes everything, who smooths the brow and uh, always listens to the man. And we see that, that concept and, and not only that, but also the ideal uh, from religion, the ideal spiritual woman and morally upright woman and socially acceptable woman who is basically not sexual, not self-directed, someone who's willing to take direction from the man, who needs the man's arm to lean upon, And it takes it to such an extreme. Of course, we all need someone to lean on. We all need help. We all need information and direction at some point in our lives. But that goes to all genders, all kinds of people. And in this case, it becomes the woman's function to be that subservient. But she's also the rock. She takes care of everything. So it's a very um, limiting role. So Jane, uh, Jane is thrust into that world, and she tries to conform to it. She tries to be docile and accepting and obedient and so on and so forth and manages to some extent, but it's always at odds with her inner self because it isn't an acquiescence and it isn't an acceptance that's really born out of who she is. And we see that acquiescence, that uh, societal imposition in St. John Rivers, who's very religious, he's a pastor, um, a reverend, and he is in the Anglican church so he can marry. So, and he wants to marry Jane because of that part of her that works hard, that, you know, can set up a school for poor children and bring them to education and take these girls. Actually, she teaches a school for girls and she gets them, you know, learning how to sew and how to behave and how to speak and comport themselves and not fling their skirts over their heads or whatever it is that girls aren't supposed to do. And she does that very, very well and she works very hard. So he wants that. He wants to take her and use her as a tool in his missionary work. Whereas Rochester, he loves the passionate side and he wants the free wild emotion and sexuality of Jane Eyre to come to him. And originally in the book, each man wants a certain half of Jane and really not so much the other half.
0: This dichotomy I've noted, sort of comes up not only in Charlotte's books, but also it's a theme in Emily's Wuthering Heights at the very least. And I I think characters keep being triangulated in these books between, um, usually it's two love interests that that can help kind of develop those sides that are at odds with each other. So there's Jane and Rochester and St. John or St. John, and then there's uh, Catherine and Heathcliff and Linton. Linton. Um, even though Linton's a bit different than Sinjin. Yeah, Linton's um, more nice. Yeah, he's He's nicer. more like a decent, good person. Yeah, I would go with him. Yeah, uh, me <laughs> too. Um, and then there's, even in other configurations, there's, you know,
1: Rochester and Jane
0: and Blanche Ingram. And, and so you see that a, a lot of the
1: time. Because Blanche Ingram is a, uh, she's cultivated and worldly, but she isn't sincere or, or real. Right. And then she doesn't have a loving heart in this book. So, and it's interesting in both the sisters' books, the passionate individual is dark haired and dark eyed uh-huh. and stormy, and the man who embodies reason is blonde. Goodness, he's
0: blonde and classical and beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: but, but what is very interesting is Northern in Heights, Heathcliff is the embodiment of this passion in this 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 force of nature and he's violent and so forth and he is very he's very dark and of unknown ancestry but he's very extreme and then we shift over and there's linton who's really kind of in the middle but he's not so intellectual that he's not interested in her sexually uh, or he's not so intellectual that he's cold he has mm-hmm. real feeling but it's tempered and it's tender and so in comparison to heathcliff he's like milk toast. but you know in real life you'd be Great. Whereas in Jane Eyre, Rochester, he's very he's very intense and strong and powerful, but he's also tempered in terms of his his tenderness and so forth. Whereas yeah, he's overbearing and brusque, but he's not violent like Heathcliff. Right, and he will if she would be strong enough to really assert herself with him. He seems to listen. It's just that she seems to, like, kind of knuckle under a lot because she kind of, she wants him. Getting aside from the a lot of things we're trying to work out today with our communication around consent, consent and, yeah. and so forth. So we're just, I'm just sticking with the history here. But it's interesting to me with St. John Rivers, he's blonde. He's very, he has a passion for a woman that he's met there. Very beautiful, lovely. She seems just lovely. But he won't marry her and be with her because... He thinks she would not be a good wife for a missionary. And his his vocation, the thing that's driving him, is to be great. It's sort of like Alexander the Great in that mm-hmm. he just wants to conquer. I know. <laughs> and this guy just wants to conquer souls. And he wants to go to India, I think it was India, and, and conquer these souls and bring them to Christianity have huge issues with that yeah it makes him even harder to sympathize with nowadays yeah because because his mission for me is not a mission (laughs) yeah exactly uh but he won't he won't marry her because she's just too cultivated and sort of like an orchid and she wouldn't be able to work hard for him and 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 that's what he cares about and i think also for him like denying your passion is spirituality Your, your physical passion right But he is more passionate than Rochester, and he's more violent, but he's emotionally violent. He's extremely emotionally violent because he is empowered by his belief in the rightness of what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So he is abusive to Jane totally, and crushing to Jane, but in an emotional way and a spiritual way, too. Because he uses the spirituality to manipulate her to try to do what he wants her to do, which she does not want to do, and she knows is not the right thing for her to do.
0: Right, yeah. We talked about this, and we definitely came to the conclusion that he's very, he's very abusive and gaslighting
1: oh, individual. Absolutely. But what but, but I'm trying to point out is that the passionate one in mm-hmm. this book is the more moderate, temperate one, and the one I would choose. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and Sinjin is the, the more violent character. Uh, so it's, it's different than with Wuthering Heights. But Rochester, and this is something that you mentioned in the last episode, which I think is really good and I agree with, is that the way they're, uh, Jane and Rochester, when they meet, and the way they're originally configured, there is no way that Jane is going to be an equal partner or that she is going to be have really her own agency other than what he lets her have, because or that she can... Um, because she says in the book she knows how to handle him, so she can she can manipulate him and handle him to get her agency. But it isn't like a clear equality between them, even though she asserts her equality as a human being in a very famous scene of their love scene where um, they end up deciding to be married. Right. She's she says like I'd stand
0: before God and say you were my equal, and and he and he's he, like yes yes I love that, and yes. so she agrees to marry him. But in truth, in practical reality,
1: she would still be his dependent. Well, not only that, but in truth and reality, because of the way that they're cultured, he's still going to see her as a woman mm-hmm. and that she will have the characteristics of a woman. And so, yes, she's equal, but she's not equal. Uh, she, she is not going to have as much power or agency. And I think that one of the key places that we see that is... I, you know, I stand as your equal, she says. And he goes, yeah, I love that. You are my equal. Come on. That's what I'm wanting you to do. Stand up and be my equal. And then as soon as they get married, of course, now he's older than she is. As soon as they get engaged. Engaged. I'm sorry. Thank you. As soon as they get engaged. First of all, one thing that comes out that is clear is that he's 20 years older than she is about. So there is going to be an inequality just because he's got the more experience and a stronger character because he's had a longer time to build a certain character, but he's also got all the money. And he's got all the uh, the the power as as a male under the law. Uh, And what what happens is is that he begins to fall into his old pattern, Mm -hmm. where he begins to adore her in an unrealistic way. She's an angel. Yeah, and back to that angel thing right. again. He just
0: wants to dress her in rubies so everyone will see how beautiful she is, yeah, and all this stuff that
1: she's like, I don't fucking
0: want that. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. He's gonna—he's gonna literally give her jewels and silks and all this, and she says, "But that's not me. That's not who I am. That's not what I want." And his image of her is so entrenched in this uh, this uh, this cultural image that he's 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 imposing it on her and so now we start to see where if they had gotten married and everything had worked out initially this whole thing would have unraveled and she charlotte bronte and jane eyre puts her finger on it because when they're having this argument they keep going back and forth and he keeps saying all the things he's going to give her and she keeps saying i don't want that i mean i think she'd be happy to travel and he is going to take her traveling but she doesn't want all this fancy stuff and she says to him finally she says I laughed at him as he said this. I am not an angel, I asserted, and I will not be one till I die. I will be myself, Mister. And she she calls him Mister. Rochester and Sir Mm -hmm. and Master.
0: Right. Even after
1: they're engaged, it's sort of like that. Also, uh, is a pointer. She says, Mister. Rochester, you must neither expect nor exact anything celestial of me, for you will not get it any more than I shall get it of you which I do not at all anticipate. And he says, What do you anticipate of me? And she says, For a little while you will perhaps be as you are now, a very little while, and then you will turn cool, and then you will be capricious, and then you will be stern, and I shall have much ado to please you. But when you get well used to me, you will perhaps like me again. Like me, I say, not love me. I suppose your love will effervesce in six months or less i have observed in books written by men that period assigned is the furthest to which a husband's ardor extends yet after all as a friend and companion i hope never to become quite distasteful to my dear master
0: that's a like sad kind of it's yeah. very it's very practical
1: yeah like for her to take that viewpoint and right and right at the peak of their spinning in the sunlight with the breeze in their hair kind of love you know and when they have not yet consummated and so there's still all of that tension and that desire and it's heightening and building and yet she stays grounded and she knows who he is Mm -hmm. and she says this and I think she says it a little bit facetiously she's trying to bring him down and go look don't cast me in this unrealistic way because basically what will happen is this is what will happen if you don't start if you don't willing to see me for who i am yeah you'll put me on a pedestal and then you'll degrade me because you were disappointed
0: by your own expectations right exactly and i think that that's really and yet she's still willing to do it because realistically she she loves him and
1: it would be a, a very secure life for her materially right well and and of course every relationship gives us something beyond oh i just love this person disinterestedly but it always gives us something and i mean in the good way is stability is a sense of self is uh, a a groundwork for family or whatever yeah. in
0: jane's uh sense connect like real connections because she has literally no family yeah
1: she's totally uh, uh, unrooted at this point, until right. she discovers the rivers. Right, but at this point she is. And also he's got this old, old house and this legacy. And yeah, he does have wealth too. And you can't say that's not going to weigh into it. Now, it's pretty clear if Jane fell in love with a poor curate, she would marry the poor curate. But it doesn't mean that the fact that she fell in love with a uh, wealthy man doesn't give her a benefit that, mm-hmm. that she values, not overvalues though. So anyway, that's, that's her, uh, at this point, her... Um, interplay with with Rochester and the struggle that she's having with trying to keep him grounded because he just wants to fly off to the moon and he says that literally right? Yeah, in some flight of fancy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take her to the moon, to the stars, you know. <laughs> oh, and and he wants to go to some place and take her and just her alone, and they'll be alone together forever. Uh, I can't think of a worse nightmare than that, yeah. no matter how much you love somebody. <laughs> Maybe for a little while, yes, but <laughs> not forever. So that's that's her initial setup with Rochester in terms of when they fall in love. In the meantime, Jane runs off and she just doesn't know where she's going to go. She doesn't take any of the jewels. She won't take anything from. It. It's a little bit qu- quixotic here, I think, but and uh, impractical. Yeah, so, so She wanders prompt. out into the onto the moor. Yeah, and... she goes as far as she can, and then she's wandering the moor with no food, <laughs> sleeping and outside, she, and she ends up begging. And I, I and I think again, uh, Charlotte Bronte just depicts that so realistically mm. and so well. I feel her discomfort. I feel her shame. I feel how the shame begins to erode, and she starts. To be willing to ask just for anything from anybody, she's willing to try to sell her comb. She's you know, everything until the the rivers is find her, and she's she depicts herself as pretty much a death's door. She's not going to last much more than a few days, if if that, out exposed on the on the moors and so forth. And she uh, ends up knocking on their door. Now in the, in the TV shows, they always show her fainting on the moor and she's discovered by St. John Rivers and carried to the house, but that's not what happened. She actually knocks on their door and is begging and gets brought in and, and taken care of. And so this is where she meets the the, the second phase of her development and her relationships with men and that is with St. John rivers and his two sisters we should mention that he has two sisters lovely girls they sound to me yeah young very young women and they're both governesses and they hate it and they don't Honestly, want to be parted
0: they're the people that jane like loves the most in this book in certain ways she's just like obsessed with them well just, it's like, so pure yeah, yeah it's like
1: well i think what she finds is she and this is why but they must be cousins, is they have such sympathy. Mm -hmm. They love everything the same. It's like when you meet your BFF, you know you're bff and you're just like oh my god we think alike you we under, intuitively understand each other it's so easy being with you and it's never easy for jane being with either of these men right even she's always managing them even when things are perfect so i i agree i think she has the easiest most loving relationships with with her her cousins and they hang out and they have a great time and sinjin is he's a bit forbidding and he's stern and but he's great Because he's going to be a missionary and he's super smart, super brilliant. And so there's that. And so it's, again, a definition of what it is to be good or great that I don't agree with. Because he's not kind. He's not kind, he's not loving, he's stern.
0: Yeah, it's really hard. I would like to hear more about what people at the time felt about him and if they read about him and were like, yeah, this guy, he sounds like an amazing leader or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure, I just can't help hating him. <laughs>
1: well, I'm sure that a lot of people did because yeah. he, cause he's religious. And you yeah. if you're religious, then carte blanche, right? I think that Charlotte Bronte, I think it's very interesting how because her father being is this any kind of reflection on her father or is it a reflection on these other people who are not her father because her father was very unusual in that he allowed his daughters to be fully educated and even though he sent them to that terrible school where they probably got diseases and died he was trying to educate them and he's trying to do right by them intellectually and he seemed to allow them freedom of thought and freedom of expression that was very unusual at the time whereas rivers He's trying to mold Jane. He sees her as being intelligent enough. She's not brilliant, but she's certainly intelligent enough. And she works very hard. And it sounds like Jane's got kind of a, that ability of, of a person who's like a problem solver in a practical way. And so they don't, might not have a lot of technical ability or even a lot of academic ability, but she kind of figures out how to work with people in the world yeah. and be successful
0: and she's got an austerity and
1: stuff. Yeah. And yeah, she's plain. She doesn't have any sense of wanting any kind of luxury. She just wants a decent, comfortable life. Um, and he likes that. And he see he watches her work hard for a year at the school and he goes, and so he's judging her and like, oh. And so then he gives her his imprimatur on her of as being a good woman and being a hard worker and being worthy. And so he deems her worthy to be his wife. And that means that God deems her worthy right <laughs> to do this awesome work of going to india which she's willing to do i mean she's got nothing right Other than, and, and the school's okay but she's really not digging it she's just it's, it's something she wants to be of use and she likes the girls but it's not her thing neither is being a missionary but she just decides that if i can be of good use and he's a great man i'm willing to go but i'm not going to marry him i'll go as his sister and because they call her his sister and i will assist him but he won't have it
0: yeah and and his reasoning is just like oh it it wouldn't be conventional or whatever
1: it couldn't be done but really what he wants is to have complete control over her and as a husband at that time he owns her but as his sister he doesn't own her he might have some control over but not total yeah, that's really at the root of why he wants her to marry him. All
0: the practical considerations aren't that big of a deal, in my opinion. And so Jane is willing to go, even though she she says to herself, like, I'm gonna die really soon if I go to India. Like, I'm not suited to
1: the climate. I'm kind of physically weak. And she's still willing to go. Right, she's still willing to go and, and sacrifice to this greater power that seems to be calling her. And then what happens is that he just brutalizes her intellectually and emotionally by using that sort of gaslighting techniques that basically saying you're wrong you're thinking wrong your feeling is wrong everything in you is wrong i know better because i'm closer to god and i know what god wants you to do right you're rejecting god's calling by not doing this like well for example one of the things he does is she's studying i believe german with her cousins and loving it and they're doing it all together and he decides that she's going to learn Hindustania and he is going to tutor her in this. And he pushes her into it. She works really hard, but she's not very good at it. It's not something that she likes that much. But she perseveres because that's what he wants her to do. And he keeps pressing her on it. I think she talks about how he's really hard to please. And she can, like, kind of eke
0: a little satisfaction out of kind of doing well and stuff. But it's very oppressive. And she's not going to
1: get much sex out of it either. Although she right. did say, she said that I knew that he would do his duty. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which you know that's you know what that That means. would be fun. <laughs> so maybe she would get a lot, but it wouldn't be good. So, for example, he says... Jane, come to me to India. Come as my helpmeet and fellow laborer. The glens and sky spun round, the hills heaved. It was as if I had heard the summons from heaven. Oh, Sinjin, I cried, have some mercy. I appealed to one who, in the discharge of what he believed his duty, knew neither mercy nor remorse. He continued, God and nature intended you for a missionary's wife. It is not personal, not mental endowments they have given you. You are formed for labor, not for love. A missionary's wife you must, shall be. You shall be mine. I claim you not for my pleasure, but for my sovereign service. <laughs> so that's just the first, that's the first go he has. So it's not that bad. I mean, he's trying to convince her. She's coming up with objections. He doesn't give a shit, so he's trying. But it's, it's you know not so bad. So then it moves on, though. And she says that she would consent to his demand if that it's possible. And she says, but for one item, one dreadful item, it is that he asked me to be his wife and has no more of a husband's heart for me than that frowning giant of a rock. And so basically that's her her objection. I I don't think I have any problem with, with that objection. She says, can I receive from him the bridal ring, endure all forms of love, which I doubt not he would scrupulously observe, (laughs) <laughs> and, know that the, yeah, and know that the spirit is quite absent. Can I bear the consciousness that every endearment he bestows is a sacrifice made on principle? No, such a martyrdom would be monstrous. I could never undergo it. As his sister, I might accompany him, not as his wife. So she makes him this offer. He basically says outright that he has to have the control. He says, I too do not want a sister. A sister might be any day taken from me. I want a wife a soul helpmeet, I can influence efficiently in life and retain absolutely till death. <laughs> God. And she says, I shuddered as he spoke. <laughs> and so they go on with this and then it just, and it goes on for pages yeah. and pages and pages. And then finally he says, so finally he says to her, it is what I want, he said, speaking to himself. It is just what I want. And there are obstacles in the way. They must be hewn down. Jane, you would not repent marrying me. Be certain of that. We must be married. And, and um, she says to him, I scorn your idea of love. I could not help saying as I rose up and stood before him. I scorn the counterfeit sentiment you offer. Yes, John, and I scorn you that you offer it. He looked at me fixedly, compressing his well-cut lips. <laughs> <laughs> And so basically they have this long thing and these are some quotes from it. And then he says, she says, no. And he goes, well, I'm going away for two weeks. So think about it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. He just won't, will not take no for an answer. Absolutely not. Um, And then she tries to back, well, maybe not backpedal, but she tries to explain what, what her meaning is. And she says, most bitterly he smiled. Most decidedly he withdrew his hand from mine. And now you recall your promise and will not go to India at all, I presume, he said after a considerable pause. So it's just, she, she just shows this, this angry passive aggressiveness so perfectly. Right. I mean, I've he's met really, people like that. Yeah,
0: he's really trying to tear down her self-esteem and to say like, oh, I guess you're a hypocrite because now that I'm mean to you, you won't even go to India. And she's like, no, I'll still go out of duty, but I won't marry you. Especially upon rereading, it really stands out like how intense he is and how and the the emotional abusive tactics that he employs
1: like and and she's so invulnerable with him because she Mm -hmm. she, I mean this is her family and she's never had family before Mm -hmm. like this but this is what I like about Jane so she manages to hold it up and she keeps trying to stay firm and be compassionate and speak to the core of the thing and then he keeps twisting it so after she does this then she says to him when he goes back over the whole thing again i interrupted him keep to common sense Sinjin. you are verging on nonsense you pretend to be shocked by what i have said you are not really shocked for with your superior mind you cannot be either so dull or so conceited as to mistake my meaning i say again i will be your curate if you like but never your wife and again oh and then what he does in order to gaslight her is he casts her statement that she would go to India with him as a promise that she would marry him and go to India with him and she keeps saying what she's saying and then he keeps coming back to you're breaking your promise to me you made a promise to me that you would do this so it's that gaslighting thing of twisting that into a promise that she would marry him because of course she can't go to India with him unless she marries him so when she said she would go to India with him she promised to marry him now I never had as the reader knows either given any formal promise or entered into any engagement. And this language was all much too hard and much too despotic for the occasion. And what it comes down to is then he calls up, he's found out about Rochester. And so now he pulls the Rochester card out and says, well, it's really just because you still hope you're going to get back with him and your heart clings to him. And so this is why you're jerking me around is what his his response is and he's jealous essentially and and maybe it's some somewhere deep down inside he has a love for jane but because of his character because of the his harshness because it's all about him and his egotism then her acquiescence and her wanting to be with him is about him and not about her
0: I don't feel like I can really tell whether he has any tender feelings for her at all, but it, he's
1: very much decided that she is going to be his. Yeah. I guess the only reason I say that, and I could be wrong, but the only reason I say that is because all of a sudden he pulls out the Rochester card, and he's, and ever since he heard about Rochester, he's kind of angry yeah. and defensive. And I don't know if he thinks it's because it'll take away just what he wants, or, maybe, or if he cares at all. I, it's hard to say. Hard to say. And it doesn't really matter because the outcome is the same and 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 he's he's pressing her harder and harder and and he changes his tactic because when he presses against her she presses back so now he gets a little bit more gentle and a little bit more crafty if you will religion called angels beckoned God commanded life rolled together like a scroll death's gates opening showed eternity beyond. It seemed that for the safety and bliss there, all here might be sacrificed in a second. The dim room was full of visions. "'Could you decide now?' asked the missionary. The inquiry was put in gentle tones. He drew me to him as gently. "'Oh, that gentleness! How far more potent it is than force! I could resist St. John's wrath. I grew pliant as a reed under his kindness.' Yet I knew all the time, if I yielded now, I should not the less be made to repent someday of my former rebellion. I'll just go ahead and read. I'll just go ahead and read through this really interesting part, and you can cut out. And you can, is that okay?
0: Yeah, because I, this is really the climax of the book, yeah. in my opinion. Yes, yes. Funny enough, even though Rochester's not even here.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I could decide, if I were but certain, I answered, were I but convinced that it was God's will I should marry you I would vow to marry you here and now come afterwards what would my prayers are heard ejaculated St. John. he pressed his hand firmer on my head as if he claimed me he surrounded me with his arm almost as if he loved me I say almost I knew the difference for I had felt what it was to be loved but like him I now put love out of the question and thought only of duty. I contended with my inward dimness of vision, before which clouds yet rolled. I sincerely, deeply, fervently longed to do what was right, and only that. Show me! Show me the path! I entreated heaven. I was excited more than I had ever been, and whether what followed was the effect of excitement the reader shall judge. All the house was still for I believe all except Sinjin and myself were now retired to rest. The one candle was dying out. The room was full of moonlight. My heart beat fast, thick. I heard its throb. Suddenly it stood still to an inexpressible feeling that thr- that thrilled it through and passed at once to my head and extremities. The feeling was not like an electric shock, but was quite as sharp, as strange as startling. It acted on my senses as if their utmost activity hitherto had been but torpor, from which they were now summoned and forced to wake. They rose expectant, eye and ear waited, while the flesh quivered on my bones. What have you heard? What do you see? asked St. John. I saw nothing, but I heard a voice somewhere cry, Jane! 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 Nothing more. Oh, God! What is it? I gasped. I might have said, where is it? For it did not seem in the room, nor in the house, nor in the garden. It did not seem out of the air, nor from under the earth, nor from overhead. I had heard it, where or whence, forever impossible to know. It was the voice of a human being, a known, loved, remembered voice, that of Edward, Fairfax, Rochester. And it spoke to me in pain and woe, wildly, eerily, urgently that's some good writing baby yeah that's some good writing it's tense yeah and it it is floored it is romantic but it's good Mm -hmm. of its kind i feel it i get excited when i read, read that the way she uses those those adverbs so basically that's the peak of the book right
0: yeah it's the moment that jane is the closest she's
1: ever been to denying herself hood and it's where she actually hears her, like you said, her own inner voice as well as Rochester's voice, I think, both. It's like they're they're the same. I guess the other thing that's worth mentioning about this
0: time with the Rivers and how that changes Jane and allows her to go back to Rochester is that she also, in conjunction with finding out that their cousins, receives money that she inherits from an uncle she didn't know she had for a long time. And so she's finally an independent Financially independent
1: woman right and she splits it up with them too because she feels that they are morally entitled to a share given that They're equally related to this person
0: But of course, it's not a lot but it's
1: more than enough for all of them to be happy so. right exactly so again moderation Yeah, so she now she's an independent woman with her own money and she as actually this crisis brings her to her own agency and she physically tears herself from the clasp of Sinjin and and she just the way she rushed away from rochester now she rushes toward him and when she ends up going back there's a lot of fiddle faddle that goes on but essentially they uh, she's going to stay with him forever and she does learn that the wife is gone so now they can actually get married but it's different now
0: Uh, one of the things that happens during the fire that um, the wife We've been calling the wife. Her name is Bertha. Yeah, we should call her by her name. <laughs> that Bertha dies in is that Rochester is also injured. He loses a hand and an eye and then eyesight in both eyes, um, mostly. At the very end, his eyesight heals a bit, so it's extra happy. There's a lot made out of
1: this injury that happens to him because it well, makes him independent. Right. It makes him him independent, makes him a lot less attractive, too. You know, and not, and not that he was handsome before, but he was obviously prepossessing, vigorous vigorous and prepossessing and normal looking you know and and then in those days i mean it's still a problem today but in those days in particular any sort of um, lack of regularity in your appearance was far more uh, damaging to your attractiveness than it can be today this disability i mean he's still a rich man so he can afford to have people look after him so essentially uh they end up deciding to marry but now we've got jane so jane it's interesting. She still calls him master. Uh, she still takes care of him like she did before, like she did as a servant. But now his need is greater, and it helps break down his bossiness and hectoringness, and his attitude that she's this angel, that she's going to be this ideal of his, and almost his blindness actually allows him to uh, to comprehend. The real human being standing in front him front of him, which he had had seen to some extent, he certainly had seen part of her and and valued it, but now he really sees the three sixty of Jane or is willing to learn about the three sixty of Jane that's the happy ending. not that their hearts beat as one and they are one person and one being, and think with one mind, which they kind of say at the end of the book, which is sort of that. That whole marriage thing about them. You now are Bone one of flesh. flesh of
0: my flesh, flesh yeah. yeah.
1: Blood of my blood, whatever. And of course, that's more like Eve coming out of Adam. But anyway, they do talk about that. But I don't see that as the happy ending. I see, that as, I see it as when Jane really stands face to face with him.
0: Again, she has financial independence. She has family now. So she has connections that can come and see her outside of Rochester. And the
1: externalities sort of match up with the internalities. Yes, exactly, and uh, as much as it can within the that structure, and and that's the, the end of the book, and I think it's uh, fantastic, <laughs> it's amazing, amazing work, good book, and thank you, thank you, Charlotte, and thank you for all of the wonderful uh, adaptations that we've had throughout the years, and all of the books that spawned, and so we want to f- uh, finish up by talking uh, about a little bit about the adaptations. Uh, for film and TV and uh, and about an, uh, maybe a little bit about one book that we really like that followed from Jane Eyre called the air affair by Jasper Ford so shall we talk about the uh, adaptations yeah sure yeah, we actually because we love you and so you won't have to do it we went ahead and we watched all the adaptations at least in English uh, of Jane Eyre uh, so so that you wouldn't have to there are nine adaptations in English That we watched, and one uh, starting in 1934. Now there was a silent version, apparently short silent version, but we couldn't find that one, so we did not see that one. And then spanning all the way up through the 2011 version, that's uh, how we've. So I'm just going to real quickly run through each one of them and who starred as Jane and Rochester, just really quick. So in 1934, we got Jane Eyre starring Virginia Bruce and Colin Clive. Colin Clive famously being Dr. Frankenstein from 1931's Frankenstein. I Walked with the Zombie from 1943, which is a very loose adaptation by uh, the Val Lewton group, which we've done a whole season on Val Lewton's, uh, starring Francis D. and Tom Conway. And then all the rest are called Jane Eyre, so I don't have to say the title. 1944, Joan Fontaine, Orson Welles. 1970, Susanna York, George C. Scott. 1983, a -a five-and-a-half-hour BBC series uh, with Zella Clark and Timothy Dalton. 1996, 1996, Charlotte Gainsbourg, William Hurt. 1997, Samantha Morton, Karen Hines. 2006, a four-hour BBC series with Ruth Wilson and Toby Stevens. And 2011, Mia Weissakowska and Michael Fassbender. Yeah, it was a whole slew, and I'm going to really have trouble keeping them straight. Um, <laughs> I, I think I remember them a little bit better. Yeah.
0: It's, one of the interesting things, I think, is that watching all of them, there's no one adaptation that really stood out as the pinnacle, like this is the best. Right. I think we could probably, from all the separate parts, choose what we think is the best one. But It depends best... on
1: what you like. Yeah, and the best roles are kind of disseminated through a lot of them. Yeah. Like like there's the like the best Jane uh, Eyre is not in the same movie with the best Rochester, Rochester right? And and so on and so forth. The best uh, uh, adaptation of the script is not in the best in the same movie with the best uh, XYZ. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay, so now that we've kind of gotten through the the bulk of the book and the characters,
0: we're going to tell you about all the adaptations of Jane Eyre we watched. There are many of them.
1: And uh, it it's it'll be interesting, uh, after having promised we would make this shorter and not be three parts, like our <laughs> we ended up being three parts. There was so much to say. okay. we'll We'll talk to you next time and give you some um, some good recommendations. If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us out an email to foiblespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Crab sandwich Grab-